0: most villains were kind of these uh, mustache twirling monologuing uh, almost comic book superhero <laughs> supervillain right, right, right. types where where vader is is especially in this film very no nonsense and there there's only one thing that he cares about
1: dodge this
0: here on a mission of mercy
1: you shall not pass there's only one god man and i'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that let's put a smile on that face i
0: want the truth you can't handle the truth
1: open the pod bay doors huh? i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that to the real world. This is episode 117 of the Movie Bite Podcast. We're going to talk today about some movies, movie reviews, movie news, trailers, and more. We're recording on Tuesday, December the 9th, 2014. I am TJ, your host, and joining me today is a man who cannot decide what side of the force he's on. It is Joe <laughs> Darnell. How are you, Joe?
2: I'm doing great. You know, with that intro, I was thinking you were going to call me Count Joe Darnell or something. Yeah,
1: I should have. I, I just, my, my little brain can't think that far ahead.
2: I would have been so honored to be the only other Count in the How entire How are you, Count Galaxy. Joe Darnell?
1: Count Dooku? Count Joe? We, well, that's part of the Star Wars franchise, though, that we don't discuss.
2: <laughs> well, I'm doing wonderful, sir. I don't think my voice is quite bassy enough to be a Count, but I'm doing well.
1: Well, Joe, I should uh, introduce our guest before he wonders why he's even on the microphone. Uh, I have a, We have a spe- <laughs> yes, we let's. have a special guest this week uh, with us in our virtual Skype studio, uh, and that is Jim Metzendorf. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, Jim, you're a kind of prolific uh, podcast editor, and you have a couple of podcasts of your own, as I understand it. Um, and I, I listened to one of your podcasts, uh, Nerd Novice, that you do with uh, Megan Paletti. Um, and you used to host, uh, the comic shack over at five by five. And I believe you still do some work with Dan over there, don't you? Some p- podcast editing.
0: Yeah. Once a uh, more, not so much editing for Dan these days, so much as, uh, just kind of general technical consultant. He'll ping me every once in a while mm-hmm. for, uh, for advice for, uh, audio or video setups. But, uh, yeah, I still do a lot of, a uh, lot of show editing, uh, like for grizzly productions, for instance. Um, I edit, Random Trek oh, nice. for the incomparable network. Yeah, I listen to network. that. Yeah, and uh, I also edit a show that that you folks might not be familiar with, but uh, is actually pretty popular out there in the podcast world. Um, Joy the Baker um, is See? a is a pretty well she's a pretty well known uh, food baking blogger and uh, and book author, and uh, she's got a show that uh, that I have the the privilege of. Being the mm. editor for,
1: nice. Okay, well, I just uh, jo- joythebaker.com com. I assume is the correct mm. thing. You got it. Um, yeah. without any, without knowing anything about her or recommending any of her things, because I really honestly don't know. I'm just going to throw that in the show notes there. Uh, and the show notes for this episode, of course, uh, as everybody knows who's listened to this podcast for any length of time, We found at movie di- moviebite dot slash mb podcast slash one one seven because this is the one hundred seventeenth episode. Uh, so also, I'll, st- I'll throw those in the uh, show notes there. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, Joe and Joe and I have been talking about doing, uh, an episode on the next star Wars film. We did the first one way back in the archives episode 30, actually, that's also going to be in the show notes, uh, where we talked about star Wars episode four, a new hope. And we've always meant to get around to doing the next one in the trilogy. And, uh, this is finally a little lull in the open movie openings. We usually do newer movies, so, and we thought, uh, I, I thought at least, well, you know, I've, I know that Jim is a star Wars fan, so I would like to see if we could get you on.
2: And of course it's a holiday movie classic. So how could we pass <laughs> up the empire so, strikes
1: Joe is <laughs> <laughs> saying, well, we should find a Christmas movie to do. And I said, uh, well, how about the empire strikes back? And I, Joe, I think you said something like that's your favorite Christmas movie.
2: <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, it's hot. got all
2: the winter, you know, white Christmas scenes on hot. Right, I mean, it's right, great.
1: right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but before we do that, um, before we talk about The Empire Strikes Back, which I'm anxious to get to, there is some news that we want to cover. And I think some of this – I tried to pick items also, Jim, that I th- thought you would have some interest in. Um, and I know that you've talked about Star Trek on um, on their Nerd Novice um, for the first several episodes. It was an ongoing theme, um, and, and, and I guess Megan had never watched any. I was in shock, but um, – Uh, So the first bit of news here is that Roberto uh, Orsi will no longer be directing the next Star Trek film. This is according to Justin Kroll over at Variety.com. Roberto Orsi is giving up the helm of the USS Enterprise and will no longer direct the third installment of Paramount Pictures' Star Trek franchise. Sources confirmed to Variety. Orsi wrote, The first two films in the series, the reason for his departure was unclear. And it does go on to say that he will be um, uh, producing still. He's staying on as producer and will be very much involved. So it doesn't sound like they fired him. It sounds like he decided that he didn't want to do it. Um, what do you, What do you think about this, Jim? With your, uh, I mean, I know that you care about Star Trek. So what do you think?
0: I do. Yeah, I'm. I'm one of those people for for whom uh, Star Wars and Star Trek are are essentially on equal ground mm. in my in my heart and and mind. Um. I have to say I'm I'm a little bit concerned mm-hmm. about yeah. what's going on related to to the production of this of this third film because the the first thing was we lost we lost JJ J. Abrams yes. to the Star Wars franchise.
1: That's either good news or bad news depending on who you are. Sure. Sure.
0: And now to see you know uh, Orsi leave as director that kind of makes me wonder if if they're having story problems or exactly what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why I say it kind of concerns me is I I would really kind of hate for them to, to make a third film just because they feel like they have to do it.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a concerning thing. Um, Joe, before I dive into my thoughts, yeah. what do you think?
2: Well, obviously they're going to have another Star Trek film, that's for sure. But what we do know about this guy, this filmmaker, Roberto, is that he is primarily a film producer. He has 30 credits, uh, 30 film credits to his name on IMDb, and that's saying a lot as a great producer he's got some good ones on here you know some not so great ones either yeah yeah uh us see the mummy uh, you know van helsing uh, the wolfman yeah it's um <laughs> some he's of also got the Amazing spider-man and <laughs> he's got both previous star trek films to his name uh you know transformers 2007 the only one that's half worth watching i do respect so. what he has done as a producer yeah, and you know, I say so because I am unfortunately a uh, Transformers fan that cannot get over what Michael Bay is ruining. Uh, but I, st- I still try to salvage a little bit of enjoyment, and that film, I the first film. I understand? Yeah, but Roberto, maybe it was just a, it wasn't in the cards for him to be the director. Maybe he's not cut out for it. You know, I I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to do this one, but then admitted that he is ill-equipped to make a Star Trek film. His first, yeah, well, his yeah, directorial well, I mean, debut.
1: Yeah, this would have been his first feature film. Do you do you guys think maybe it was, he just uh, he got in over his head and he realizes and he's bailing out, or uh, you know, or or like like you said, Jim, maybe it's story issues and they are clashing some head, you know, butting some heads over there, and and I, I don't know. I'm I'm certainly concerned um, uh, for what's going on. I mean, I
2: think that there are probably several people in the production that are really frustrated with JJ for moving away from their franchise I mean I would be I would feel yeah betrayed if I were a part of the crew thinking about the fact that JJ's moved away and he's you know taking care of Star Wars for Disney
1: yeah this may be crazy i'm I, and I'm the only one I've ever seen say this but I would love to see what Nicholas Meyer would do in the new uh in the new playground which for those of you who don't know not, not everybody is a, a truck aficionado like me Nicholas Meyer directed the uh, second and third best, at least in my estimation, Star Trek films: Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan and Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. And and he's always brought something, some fresh and new perspective uh, to the Star Trek universe. Both times that he came, he also wrote um, the script uh, for Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, the part that took place in the nineteen eighties. I would love to see what he would do here. But but regardless of all that, like I'm just really concerned. It's really late in the game for them to be switching directors. It it you know, one
0: thing just to just a thought that kind of occurred to me is it maybe it's just studio confidence.
1: Mm, maybe
0: mm-hmm. maybe Paramount just doesn't feel comfortable with Orsi directing because it would be hit it it would be such a big film for his first
1: time at that. Yeah, it absolutely would be. That that would be a big undertaking for him for the first time. At the same time, you know he's been around the productions, he's been on the sets, right. he's been producing, he's been writing. So, uh, you know, I don't know if, if anything
0: since since he and 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 JJ are you know kind of production buddies or what have you, um, you know he he would have seemed to be an ideal person to give them a JJ like film.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that's maybe for, for not as good as I guess. What I'm wanting, I was kind of excited that JJ wasn't going to be directing this film, despite you know there's always some concern of the cohesiveness of the trilogy. But then you know at the same time it's like, well, I'm I'm not always completely jazzed with everything JJ's done in, in this sandbox. I'd, I'd love to see somebody else kind of get in there and 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 tone down maybe some of that you know. Uh, Flare and and over the top visuals and not as much substance as you might like, uh, and and the easy nostalgia that that JJ tends to go for is is a little bit frustrating. Mm. Um, I, and I have to credit Clark Douglas, who's been on the podcast several times, that with coining that phrase. And I thought it was a good one. Um, but it, you know, on the whole, I've enjoyed the the new franchise. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm I'm concerned. We, I have I have concerns.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Very valid ones, sir in other trek news you have this here blu-ray coming to release Um, you know of uh, star trek the next generations all good things yes tj you got this in our items of interest now what the heck is all good things sir uh is this a show was this a this TNG was movie? a
1: a uh, a double length uh episode it was the uh, series finale of star trek the next it Generation. was the
2: christmas special in 1997 right no
1: Uh, this was the series finale to star Trek, the next generation, arguably, uh, I would say probably the best overall star Trek, uh, TV show. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, know fan there's fans that are all over the map on this, but in my opinion, it, and it depends on the day you ask, like sometimes I would say deep space nine, but most of the time I'll say star Trek, the next generation was the best. And this was certainly the best finale of any of the Trek series. And, and one of the best finales in, in TV period, I, I think, it 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 was a really nice bookend, and um it it uh it was really well written uh it was very It was
2: even better than Lost?
1: Uh I never watched the end of Lost I couldn't even make it to the first season so <laughs> Oh. Yeah. Anyway, um well, the,
2: the, all the with all the times that the next generation liked to dip into the what was it called the Hollow Deck and into the um the aliens that would cause various hallucinations and various imaginative beings to pop up around them. When I saw the screen grab of uh, what's his name, uh, Captain Picard with the big old white beard, <laughs> I I thought to myself, "Yep, this is something that doesn't actually happen in the show. It's just a dream sequence or something else." No, like that. No, it
1: wasn't quite like that. It was really good. Oh, though. really? But, but we did we did go mm. to visit an alternate future. That was that was what happened. That then they had to but correct he- it. But do you Uh,
2: think it really warrants a standalone Blu-ray?
1: Yeah, I would say it does. It's, it's basically a, a short feature length, uh, Blu-ray. So, so they've been, as as I've mentioned on the show before, they've been remastering all of Star Trek, the next generation when they've been doing a fantastic job. I've been, I've been watching the better episodes and picking them out from Amazon.com and watching them. And, 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 uh, man, they're fantastically done. Uh, just, they've, they've reused all the original effects where possible and just recomposited them. Um, they've, you know, they're using the model shots and not, not, not relying on creating new CGI unless they really, really have to. Um, it's just fantastic work. And it just reminds me of how much I love model work as opposed to overuse of CGI. And anyway. Uh, this is a really, really good uh, thing that they're doing with All Good Things, and uh, so I just wanted to put that in the show notes and recommend it. And I know that Jim probably has some things to say about this.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea that they are making it available separately because it really is a good episode. And and as amazing as these Blu-ray sets are, the the reality is that they are – they're prohibitively expensive Mm -hmm. for a lot of people for me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. For, for me as well. And, and I'm, you know, I'm as big of a, a star Trek and next gen fan as, as they come, but I'm looking at the prices just right now, glancing uh, on amazon.com the least expensive set here looks to be about uh, almost $50 going up all the way to um, 75 or so for each individual season.
1: Yes. Yeah, and man,
0: that is just, that's a tough pill to swallow, but, uh, you know, if somebody really likes that, that final episode, which it is, is an excellent one, um, you know, pick up that blu-ray I think is a, is a good deal. The other, the other, uh, episode, uh, that they've broken out that I would strongly recommend to anyone is, uh, the best of both worlds parts one and two, yeah,
1: absolutely. which is, yeah. uh,
0: the, uh, the season three to season four cliffhanger mm-hmm. that involves uh, Picard being transformed into Locutus of Borg.
1: Yes, and, uh, yeah.
0: Great, great, great show.
1: Most seasons have at least one breakout that was a double-parter except for the first season um, that they have put on standalone. Um, and I think season two, I think they did that with Measure of a Man because they found some extended footage and they made it a standalone, if I'm remembering that right. I know they did the extended. I'm pretty sure they made it standalone. That is also one of the uh, amongst the direct That is the first and second seasons. That is one of the best best episodes of Star Trek. It's like sandwiched amongst a bunch of mud is a a real gem. Um, so that that yeah, every every season has standout episodes, and they've most of those they've made standalone Blu rays. Like with all good things, so. Uh, if, if you find, as I do the, the big entire season sets prohibitively expensive, this is a great thing to to go do now. Now, luckily, um, I'm a subscriber to Amazon prime. And if you are, you can watch them in HD, uh, via their instant watch. Um, I've, I've been enjoying that and, and the quality is really good. So that, that is highly recommended. If you're not an Amazon prime subscriber, that's it's worth it for that, I think. So, uh, Joe, do you have anything else to say on this?
2: No, I'm I, honestly. If there's anything else I would add, it's that I would like to actually see this episode now. It sounds pretty entertaining.
1: It, it, right? It's I'm definitely interested. it's definitely a good episode. It's it's.
2: I saw what maybe the first three seasons and a half. I, I dropped it uh, out around there, and I, I'm very familiar with the characters. I would I, I would think I would get still something out of this episode.
1: I would never recommend anybody start with season one of TNG. I just, I can't, I I really hate that season with, with like, I think maybe one exception in that entire season.
2: Uh, I don't know. I was just in it for Wesley. When Wesley left the show, I was done.
1: (laughs) No, 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 Joe, we we need to work on that. All I have to say (laughs) is shut up, Wesley. Uh, All right. Um, all right, well, so let's...
2: Speaking of sci-fi and movies, TJ...
1: Yes. And... and uh, We have other headlines. In fantasy, yeah, and comic books and, and all that good stuff. We we do have some yeah. headlines here. And that all is... All right, so
2: Evangeline Lily, Yes. She had something nice to say about the new Ant-Man movie. She said it was a great thing that they got rid of the first director. Mm. Okay, I'm just twisting her words. Mm. But what she actually said was that... Edgar Wright's Ant-Man would not have fit the Marvel Universe as we know it by, what's his name, Um, that other filmmaker? What's his name, Joss? Whedon? Yeah, Joss Whedon. I thought Edgar's idea, oh, I'm sorry, back up, this is Evangeline speaking here. I thought Edgar's idea to blend the Hank and Scott stories was brilliant, Lily told BuzzFeed about Wright's approach. You're going to have fans up there who insist that you tell the story of Hank Pym, and fans up there who will be much more on board with Scott Lang's side of it. I think we are going to come close to pleasing them all, though. But when Wright exited the movie, things were then thrown up in the air. I saw with my own eyes that Marvel had just pulled the script into their world, Lily revealed. I mean, they've established a universe, and everyone has come to expect a certain aesthetic and a certain feel for Marvel films. And what Edgar was creating was much more in the Edgar Wright camp of films. They were very different, and I feel like if Marvel had created Edgar's incredible vision, which they would have been, like classic comic book, it would have been such a riot to film, and it would have been so much fun to watch. But it wouldn't have fit in the Marvel universe. I think this is pretty a very good observation. I, I commend Evangeline Lilly's observation there because, I I don't know about Edgar Wright. I don't know exactly what his script looked like. I don't know what he was going to accomplish with this film. Um, I know that already. the The world at large is waiting to see why why we would want to see a superhero that somehow is supposed to impress us by shrinking down to the size of an ant.
1: I know, and I know I Jim's head know. is exploding over here waiting to say something about this. But.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would have liked to have known more about Edgar's uh, take on the film, but I'd much rather have one that's in keeping with the Marvel franchises as we, as we know them, just thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy. It's not quite the Avengers um, spin-off. It's definitely got a flair of its own. But it still feels like it belongs to the films we're seeing coming out by Marvel in the present day. And I would be grossly disappointed if there was a disconnect. It makes me think of um, what DC did with The Man of Steel. It isn't a great departure from the Batman Begins trilogy, but it still feels like it's a spiritual departure. And I wish that The Man of Steel could have been a bit more true to a greater vision for DC films. Um, perhaps it don't is the all. foundation for those films in the future. But it's a rotten shame that the Batman Begins films could not have been the foundation instead of Man of Steel. Eh,
1: I don't know. And, I'm, uh, I'm I'm happy to leave the Batman films as a standalone thing. But I don't know. I've gone back and forth on that. But as pertains to Ant-Man, like, I, I've never seen so much hate uh, a, 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 against the Marvel Cinematic Universe since they basically started the Marvel Cinematic Universe as when Edgar Wright, was basically fired from from directing. Uh, Jim, why don't? Well, how did you feel about this? And why don't you tell us a little about Ant Man here? Sure thing. Well, I I think
0: I think that 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 fan dissatisfaction that we're seeing when it when it, when it was announced that that Edgar Wright left the project really kind of comes from um, so much of the goodwill that uh, that he's garnered in the uh in the genre community with uh with all the films that he's made uh himself already along with uh with Simon Pegg and and others. So he's uh his work is extremely well liked. And to to me I really have to agree with with everything that that Joe said. Um, the Marvel Cinematic universe needs to needs to retain a certain cohesion and it, it has to, even though certain films are going to have, uh, to a certain extent personalities of their own, they can't completely seem incongruous from one another. Mm -hmm. And so if, if he could not deliver that or did not want to deliver that, then you have to make a change. And and the thing too, with this is it's not, not so much that I feel as though the Marvel movies are made by committee. I I think that's probably got kind of a negative connotation to it, but I do feel that there is a lot of people that they have to please in terms of producers and executive producers. And I, I think if, if there's a, if there's a director that, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, can't or, or won't play ball. Then it's better to just make the change and, hmm. uh, and and go with someone that that's gonna that's gonna work within what the the tone of of, of the movies is is intended to have.
1: Yeah. And I've heard so many different opinions across the board on that line of thinking. Uh, you know, there's your opinion, which, which I think is, is perfectly valid. And I'm kind of split down the middle. Um, because I, I understand the need for Marvel for somebody over there. You know, you've got different directors for different movies, but somebody has to kind of be setting the vision and, and, and somebody has to be kind of heading that up. And right now that's Kevin Feige probably or, or a creative team. Uh, cause even Joss Whedon doesn't have free reign, even though he was, he was, uh, you know, supposed to be shepherding phase two um but but somebody has to have the overall vision in mind for all of these films i mean you know and, and yet at the same time you're like well why are you hiring this director you're hiring him for his creative vision and and for what he might bring to the franchise and you don't want to make cookie cutter films or at least i i hope that's not what they want to do i hope they don't want to make cookie cutter films so i'm i'm split right down the middle on this i don't know which mind to be of and so i feel kind of like uh uh my my mind is being kind of split into right down the middle um, but but I definitely hear what you guys are saying, and uh, it's just you know it's just hard for me not to feel a little bit like, hey, eh, what are you guys doing? You know, firing Edgar Wright? That was kind of a a, a bad move. But I hear what you're saying for sure. So
2: well, the outcome cannot be anywhere nearly as bad as the Punisher film. So I think we're good.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I would be surprised if the outcome was anywhere near as bad as as uh, um, Man of Steel, for the, for that matter.
2: <laughs> That's, uh, you got a point
0: there. And, and let me just throw it out right now, guys. That if you ever want to uh, review uh, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four movie, I'm with you.
2: <laughs>
0: Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Which one was that? <laughs> That is the the 1993 uh, abandoned, uh, completed, but never released Fantastic Four movie.
1: If it was never released, how do you Mm. watch it? Oh, there are sources. Internet, TJ. Yeah. I can (laughs) can extrapolate. I've never seen it. I'm looking at, uh, I'm going to Google image search, which may or may not be a good idea, but um, it looks pretty, how shall we say, wretched?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty pretty. Pretty low budget,
1: we'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I actually, anyways, <laughs> I didn't actually hate the Fantastic Four films that came out recently. Well, the first, the second one was a little bit blah, but the first one wasn't so bad. Um, but they've kind of fallen by the wayside, and and you know, uh, the, the torch is now uh, Captain America, so that wouldn't really work to try to continue continue that continuity. So, yeah, that that would be uh, not so good. Well, yeah. I'm, I I don't know what more to say about Ant-Man other than I, I don't know how to feel about it, and I'm not familiar with the, the comic. Like, like I said – or I don't – I think I said this before we actually started the show, and I, I know that our listeners know I'm not really into the comic books, although I wish I could be. I'm just – I don't have the time, and I've never had the inclination to really get into them, but I love the movies, so – Uh, And I've loved – like anytime Marvel comes out with an obscure title like Guardians of the Galaxy or even Iron Man, like I didn't know who Iron Man was, and I was blown away. So I'm hoping Ant-Man will do the same thing for me, even though it sounds kind of weird. It's
2: probably all for the better. Like you're saying, you can appreciate the films a lot more.
1: All right. Well, why don't we talk about this Terminator Genesis trailer? Um I think we're going to have to skip a couple of these things just for the sake of time. Uh, I've, 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 I've oh, yeah? added the uh, outline a little too heavily. <laughs> so ah. let's talk about the uh, Terminator Genesis trailer. and so here is a clip.
2: I look at each of you and I see the marks of this long and terrible war.
1: We die tonight. Mankind dies with us. There's a clip from the trailer for the upcoming film Terminator Genesis, which is spelled G G E N I S Y S. I don't know what kind of sense that makes. It's silly. but that was a, that was the trailer and you know it's interesting um i've not necessarily been a fan of this idea of going back to terminator but this trailer a lot of people there's a lot of hate for it too and i was not actually that uh turned off by the trailer i i actually kind of enjoyed it uh how did how did you guys feel about it
2: i'm going to say i re- i'm reacting positively to it because uh let's face it Terminator is a little bit less than a regular popcorn flick series. Sure. And it's sort of a zone for, we're going to welcome the mistakes because they're exploring the opportunity to do something unintentionally great accidentally through those (laughs) mistakes. And sometimes it can accidentally turn out better than one might've expected if they had tried to hold back. I think that they're not horribly cheesy for the sake of um, just like insulting the audience I think that these films are unwittingly good at times and unwittingly bad at times, and they're not trying to be something they are not. They're trying to entertain you and they're exploring something that really worked for audiences back in the eighties. So I'm happy to see that they're coming back a uh, full swing with this one. Like they're, they're not trying to hold anything back and they're not trying to just throw sensational things into the trailer personally I get the impression they're trying to give us an honest an honest portrayal of what to expect in this film they're not trying to hold anything back so do
1: you think that we should give uh Jay Courtney the benefit of the doubt and not hold the die hard film against him
2: mm-hmm yeah yeah that's where I am at
1: <laughs> well, what do you think of what do you think of all this
0: Jim it's it's interesting because it almost seems like this is this is Terminator one point five right right and uh I'm I, I've always enjoyed uh, Terminator Two. Uh, I think that's a real good film. The the first one, I think I've only seen you know once or twice, and and probably haven't seen it in like fifteen years, right. if not longer. So I don't know it terribly well myself. But um, uh, it it seems like they're they're trying to to do something interesting here. So you know, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt.
1: Yeah, and, and, and there was so much hate for this trailer online. Uh, one of the movie podcasts I listened to kind of, kind of skewered it. And, and I thought, you know, guys, uh, you know, I, I don't mind skewering stuff, but I, I feel like we're being a little bit hard on a film. And on the trailer here, just based on the fact that we loved maybe what came before, and then now we've, we, you know, I haven't seen Terminator Salvation, but I hear that kind of ruined the, the, or didn't do well. It wasn't good, and and I think that we need to back off and give a little benefit of the doubt. And I, I really quite enjoyed this trailer. I'm I'm a more of a recent. Uh, I've only recently watched the Terminator uh, films. I I was not allowed to watch them when I was younger. Uh, understandably, having now seen them. And I just never kind of swung back around and, and caught those until um until very recently. This this year, in fact, is when I watched the very first Terminator film for the first time. Um the first one was okay. The second one certainly was better. And then they kind of went downhill from there, maybe. Um the third one, I think I, I think I've seen the third and the fourth or is Terminator Salvation the fourth one. I I've seen up to Terminator I have not seen Terminator Salvation, that's the one I haven't seen.
2: Christian Bells was the last one. That's
1: Correct. One I that that's remember. the one I'm yeah, yeah, I haven't seen that one. So I don't know. I'm 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 interested to see what they do with it. Of course, I I liked the um I've liked some of the reboots they've done recently. Uh, RoboCop I like way better than the first original RoboCop, which I know is is sacrilege, but you know whatever. <laughs> um and then uh yeah, and, and and Fizz loves to give me a hard time about that.
2: Are you looking forward to the reboot of Rocky?
1: <laughs> no, I, I can't stand those films. <laughs> you know this, Joe. You know this. You're just trying to get me going. <laughs>
2: Yes, uh, I, th- I think I found your buttons. Yes, I, I think that it's it's all things considered, uh, hopeful. It's perspective here. I, this is on the app.
1: Well, guys, I think it's time. I've been anxious to get here. We we talked about the, the we talked about Star Wars. Uh, it used to be just titled Star Wars, and then after a new uh, after this one came out, they retitled it Episode Four: A New Hope, um, which apparently George Lucas had always planned on doing, but he wasn't sure if he's going to get more than one made. So, we're here to talk about today, The Empire Strikes Back. So, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away... A film came out. (laughs) I did not expect that. I thought you were going to play a trailer. No, no. Uh, this is, this is just the, the opening music. Um, I'm actually watching the opening title crawl from my digital copy that I'm playing right now. Um, Ah. so this film came out on May 21st, 1980. This is two years before I was born. Um, and it had a budget of eighteen million dollars. I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I, I meant to, to do some googling and figure out what that is in today's dollars, but I, I failed to do that. Um, let's just suffice it to say that eighteen million is more than it sounds like, you know, because most of the films we talk about now have a much bigger yes. budget than eighteen million. But this is 1980, so.
2: I remember in 1995, I was eating at a um, a diner with my dad, and we were talking about the release of Toy Story, and for some reason. In the paper, there was a top 10 grossing list of all time, and I believe Empire was near the um, bottom end of that top 10 list, or it was something like in the top 20. It was in the high top 20, so yeah, it was at one time way up there with all the other Spielberg films and things like that.
1: So, uh, budget of eighteen million. Opening weekend, it brought in ten point eight million. That and it actually opened opened to a limited release, and the ten point eight figure comes from the wide release. Um,
2: I bet you that the lines of the box office were longer than the lines for the iPhones.
1: I would I would guess so. Um, it was a really kind of a hit back in the in the day. Uh, n- unlike now, where nobody loves Star Wars. I'm kidding. Um, so, the worldwide gross has been five hundred thirty eight point three million dollars. Um, I'm assuming that comes a lot from having reopened it in the 90s and, and brought it back to the theaters uh, for the first time, and people went to see it before before The, the Phantom Menace came out and crushed all our hopes and dreams. Um, the, the Rotten Tomatoes critic consensus is uh, that dark and sinister, but ultimately even more involving than A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back defies viewer expectations and takes the series to heightened emotional levels – It is, by the way, the highest-rated Star Wars film at Rotten Tomatoes, 95% critic approval rating, 97% audience rating. It is the highest-ranked Star Wars film, and rightly so in my opinion. Um, Director was Irvin Kershner, so George Lucas did not direct this film or the next for that matter, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, And then uh, writers Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasten – Um, wrote the screenplay, and of course the story comes from George Lucas. The film stars, of course, Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Billy D. Williams, Anthony Daniels, David Prowse uh, as Darth Vader physically, Um, Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, Frank Oz as Yoda's voice, and he was the puppet master for Yoda, Uh, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan. Uh, Clive Reville, uh did the voice of the Emperor. At least, if you watch the appropriate version of this film, he did, and not the uh, George Lucas special uh, ruined edition. And um, and interestingly, they had an old woman with uh, cat eyes rotoscoped in as the appearance of the Emperor, which is just weird to me. But that's that's. Are you serious? I am ser- I'm deadly serious. The composer is um, the wonderful John Williams, um, though I, I feel like he can be overly bombastic. At times, he was hit all the right notes and was perfect for Star Wars. Um, and so, Joe, we come to that point in the podcast that you like to tell us about the storyline.
2: All right. Thank you, TJ. Yes, this is that point in time. Uh, clear your mind of all your other storyline thoughts and prepare for this one fleeing the evil galactic empire the rebels abandoned their new base and in an assault with the imperial 8080 walkers on the ice world of hoth you know this this storyline sounds like it could have come straight out of a an ad or some kind of newspaper <laughs> article about this in, the, in 1980 anyway princess leia han solo chewbacca and the droid c-3po escape in the millennium falcon but are later captured by darth vader on bespin meanwhile luke skywalker and the droid r2d2 follows Obi-Wan Kenobi's posthumous command and receives Jedi training from Master Yoda on the swamp world of Dagobah. Will Skywalker find the Jedi Knight prowess to rescue his friends from the Sith Lord? this actually came from imdb and i only slightly modified it i thought it was more interesting to throw in there uh find the jedi knight prowess but other than that that's straight off of imdb you know i would like some professional help well, you,
1: there. Lazy, you you lazy thing you
2: well i think that we all know the storyline like the back side of our hands and you know we could basically read our fortune from just you know you know anyway never mind well well, you know we know the storyline
1: we did talk about i don't remember (laughs) it was several episodes back some friends of mine um who were who, who were about 10 years younger than me um and um they were just recently married and she has never seen star wars and so i we finally we got together and i uh we we watched my wife and and me and uh, they watched Star Wars Episode Four, and uh, she loved it. But and we were supposed to watch this together, and it's we've just never been able to get together. So um, it's it, there are people in the world who haven't seen it.
2: Yeah. But people, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched this movie yet, please stop our podcast and go watch this movie now.
1: Joe, you and I are going to have an impasse here. I don't want anybody to stop listening to this podcast.
2: <laughs> I don't care. They've already downloaded it. We've already got our hits.
1: Okay. Um, and then before we really start talking about our, our thoughts and feelings uh, on this, and I'm really anxious to do that, but I found oh, yeah? something interesting uh, when I was uh, searching through Wikipedia, um, not Wikipedia, but Wikipedia. Uh, I found this interesting tidbit, and I'll have this link in the show notes. Um, Although the Organas were not trying to hide the fact that Leia was adopted, they never informed the princess of her true parentage, nor did they reveal the existence of her twin brother. However, during the short time between her birth and her mother's death, Leia gained a faint memory of her mother as a beautiful and kind yet sad woman. (laughs) And this is to fix the stupid continuity that they did in Revenge of the uh, Revenge of the Sith, is that the third one? Yeah. Uh episode three. Um, where basically her mother died while giving birth to her and and we know that that Leia had memories of her mother, so they're trying to say, well, she had these memories, she gained these faint memories of her mother as beautiful and kind uh while she when she was born. It's just uh, Lucas, you you, you irritate me so much. <laughs> So with that, that was, you know, they're, they're trying to fix the continuity in in that way. With that, let's talk about our thoughts and feelings about the Empire Strikes Back. This is one of those movies I I told Rachel, my wife, it's, it's going to be really hard for me to, to kind of be objective and, and, and to be, and to talk about this movie the way we normally do, because I'm so intimately familiar with it. You know, it's, it's very strange. It's kind of the same way. I, I know we talked about this when we reviewed the Matrix and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. It's, just, it's one of those movies for me. And Jim, I don't know if I'm on the same page as you where you say that Star Trek and Star Wars are on even footing. Uh, I would probably give Star Trek a little bit higher ground, but Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back has a very special place in my heart. It is the best Star, Star Wars film. And uh, yeah, so let's let's dive in. And Jim, you're our guest, so you get to go first and, and, and lay your thoughts out on the table. How do you feel about this film?
0: Alrighty, well, it's... I have to agree with you. It's, it's the best Star Wars movie, period. Now, Uh-oh. I, have a, I have a weird <laughs> qualification to make. Uh oh. Um, even though, just a quick comparison to, to episode four, even though I think that, that in virtually every way, Empire is a better film, episode four will still be my favorite. Having said that, this this movie, The Empire Strikes Back, is is for my money an an absolute masterpiece of of space opera, of space fantasy, science fiction, whatever whatever genre you actually want to label Star Wars. Uh, and I could like agree you, more. Yeah, like you, it's just. It was an absolutely huge part of my childhood i I ate, slept, and drank Star Wars mm-hmm. from the time I was about two and a half years old until I was probably you know ten or eleven and kind of kind of moving away from from toys and uh, i I have very, very specific memories. Of being in the living room of uh, of my childhood home, and my parents opened up a newspaper that had an ad for Empire Strikes Back in it, and I, I remember it clear as day. Them saying to me, "Oh, you don't want to go see rusty old C three PO again, do you?" <laughs> No, nah, uh, who would want to do that? And six year old me was like, What? Yeah, I want to see it again.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, yeah, th- this is, this is one of those movies that is definitely like all three of the Star Wars movies. Uh, you know, y- you talk about uh, how Star Wars was, you had the toys and you, you know, you watched it all the time. And, and for me, I had a, I had Star Wars toys. I had more Star Trek toys that I played with. And, uh, it, it's almost like Star Trek was the bedrock of which my childhood was built on. And then Star Wars was the dessert, which was just as, as good. So, but there wasn't as much of it. And, you know, it, it um, it wasn't currently on TV and you know we watched Star Trek every night and, and Star Wars was one of those things where like you did a, a special and you, you you know you went and watched it on a weekend or something and the family gathered around and watched it or whatever, but it wasn't on every week. So it, but it's still like burned into my consciousness uh, and and I've always liked the Empire Strikes Back um, better than uh, episode four. That said, I think you're in good company with Joe here, who I believe feels the same way, Joe. is that right? Do I remember you saying that you liked episode four the best?
2: Absolutely. I I wrote the review for episode 4 for Movie Bite about a year ago or so and uh we talked about it on episode 30 and uh, like you said of the podcast earlier. I I think that what draws me to the Star Wars universe is um clearly powerful and strong in all 3 of the original films. There's just one slight edge to A New Hope and The Jedi that the Empire doesn't have. And that is not to say that Return of the Jedi is arguably a better film than the Empire film. I'm not saying that not at, all. at all. But it's this one element that I miss in The Empire Strikes Back. And that is the the interaction, the friendship, and the camaraderie on screen between Luke, Han, Leia, Chewbacca, RTD2, when they're working together, when they're in a scene together. I enjoy that they are extremely close friends that are so un- different people and they get along so very well. They clearly care about each other and you, and you see that unfold on screen while they're learning to deal with each other in episode four. And while they have grown to become good old friends by returning to the Jedi and the empire, that relationship is definitely well established, but there's mostly you know, awkward romance between Leia and Han mm-hmm. uh, Chewbacca standing in the background of the Falcon. Most of the time C-3PO conversing, you know, but everybody ignoring him, not actually contributing much to anything.
1: Unless it's to tell and Han, then Han the odds. Luke
2: is, yeah. <laughs> and then there's Luke who is removed from everybody on the, the Millennium Falcon party. So, you know, the interaction between Yoda and Luke is something special in empire but because luke cannot be a part of the entire group i i'm just i like that interaction those characters have together and i grossly miss it in the empire. So, every time I pop it on and I start watching it, I'm like, yeah, Hoth, my favorite scenes, my favorite moments. Like if we could just have more of the Medic Bay scene where Han really? and Leia are, you know, you know, yeah, they're they're arguing while Luke just kicks back and listens to them like he, you know he's on meds or something and he has nothing else to add to their conversation. So he, cause he's high.
1: You just want to see more of Leia berating Han.
2: I would just like to see more of them together <laughs> of any kind. And I, I just miss it when they le- go their parting ways on Hoth at that point. I'm like, Oh man. All right. We'll I have to wait till the return of the Jedi to see them together again. So, you know, th- th- that's just the, uh, the main reason for why I'm not as big on empire as I am on a new help.
1: Well, let me, uh, we can go ahead and start really diving into our likes now, moving past our general thoughts. Um, and let me tell you why, uh, if I can, and this is going to be very hard to do. It, it's, it's so hard to talk about a movie I'm so intimately familiar with. So, which sounds strange, but it's just weird. So let me try to tell you why I like this film the best, and and I know it's it's a popular opinion. Like everybody thinks Empire is a better film, but I, I really think that it, it really is the best the best film in the franchise. Um, and it's not that I don't like episodes four and six for that matter, but although six is easily the the least of the of the trilogy, um, but it, this one is just it's it's so much. I don't know. It's it's a very tight film. It there's nothing in this film that's wasted. Every scene has a purpose, but it doesn't feel like it's rushed. It, like it doesn't feel like they've cut anything extre- you know, extraneous that, that would have been a nice character moment. Like it's all there and it's, it's contained really well. Um, this movie dives right into the story. It, you know, where most of your, your, um, a, a, well, I, I should say a lot of your, uh, your trilogies and your, your continuations and stuff, they kind of feel like they need to bring you back up to speed or whatever. I, I felt a lot that way, a little bit with, with the hunger games, um, and, and, and this, this film really just sort of, you know, if you're not familiar with star Wars, well, that's tough luck. And I, and I like that approach. Like if you, you should have watched the first <laughs> yeah. one,
2: um, to compliment your idea there. The first thing you see is the Imperial probe droid. Popping his head up out of the snow, right? Yes, he's making these funny sounds, and he looks kind of like a bug. But then he's flying, but for no apparent reason. And there's smoke rising. And then the next thing you see is Luke's binocular, you know, techno binocular vision while he's scoping out the bot. And you know, if if you missed the first film, you're really lost already. But At the same time, if you know your basis, then this, this is, this is enrapturing. This moment, this is so stark to everything you saw in episode four.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. And and then the next thing that I have on my list, I actually have a list of, I try to make a list of things I liked about this film. Um, I'm, I'm I'm no John Syracuse, but I have my lists. Uh, Vader is is kind of off his leash. It, it was always kind of weird. I, I think I don't know. Maybe you guys can can help me on this, but I always thought it was kind of weird in Episode Four that he's kind of like on on a Tarkin's leash, like Tarkin is over him or something. But like he's a Dark Lord of the Sith, and he should only answer the Emperor, I, I, you know, the, the 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 master of the Sith. Like I didn't quite understand what was going on in Episode. four. I have four. the answer for you. Uh, okay. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. Uh, originally, the idea was that Grand Moth Tarkin was in charge of the Death Star itself. It was his jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. The Emperor had made him in charge of it, and Darth Vader was more or less responsible for special operations. So he, had, he would have jurisdiction over projects that he was specifically given by the Emperor, mm-hmm. whereas governors presided over specific vessels and uh, battle stations and the like
1: well regardless in this film Vader he answers to no one and he is on the warpath and he he really feels like a big movie villain here like like there you you know he's he's the original i don't know if he's the original but to me he's the original big bad movie villain right like he he his presence is keenly felt and and this feels like a more polished version of vader where in the first film he felt kind of yelly like like he yelled a little bit too much and he 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 felt kind of uh Overbearing and not in control of himself all the time. And in this film, he never yells. He's always very in control of the situation and of everything that's going on. And, and, you know, when somebody angers him, he doesn't raise his voice. He just chokes him to death. And he's like, you know, apology accepted to Captain Nita, you know, and, and so, I mean, Vader is at his best, I think, in this film as a villain. He feels kind of uh, – in Jedi, one of my complaints with Jedi is he feels like very neutered <laughs> in, in Jedi. I suppose after his defeat in, in Empire basically, maybe rightfully so, but but it, I, I like Vader the best in this film. So I'm, I'm hogging all the mic time here, so you guys feel free to jump in here. What do you, what do you like about this film, Jim?
0: I think you, you, you really hit on something important with, with Empire – Versus, uh, versus episode four, which is that uh, that change in, in how uh, Vader behaves. You're absolutely right. And I, I really hadn't quite thought of it in, 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 that, in such a clear way to where in, in episode four, he is kind of yelly, barking orders. And in this one, he's just all business. He's uh, in his own way, calm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and really intent on on finding um, finding Luke and uh, what what's great about Vader as a villain. And you, you touched on this as well is. Is he's a he's. He's a powerful big bad. That that you take seriously and he's. You really see how formidable he is. Whereas most films prior to this, so often, you know, especially if you look at the influences that that George Lucas had and in, in coming up with with Star Wars, uh, you know, the Flash Gordon type stuff, Ming the Merciless, that that whole thing. Most villains were kind of these uh, mustache twirling, monologuing, uh, almost comic book superhero or super villain <laughs> right, right, right. types where, where Vader is, is especially in this film, very no nonsense. And there, there's only one thing that he cares about and, uh, and
2: that's getting Skywalker.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Joe, do you have anything to add on that?
2: Along these lines as a, um, like a, uh, sub point to Darth Vader himself is all the more, instances. We get to see the Imperial um, the imperial forces. We see the Empire, their their walkers on Hoth. We see their Star Destroyers in formations. We see them all ganging up against the Millennium Falcon. We see chases of TIE fighters inside of meteorite showers. We see them invade the Cloud City and just turn it on its head. And anytime we see Vader's arm stretch out and manipulate people they're just all pawns and putty in his fingers and there are so many great moments even with these smaller roles characters like captain nita and admiral pitt and we see um just the just how creepy the empire can actually be from the inside while they maintain all this order and no one seems especially evil really on the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer, besides Darth Vader, but they're clearly up to no good. And they, they're, it's downright disturbing because this is the first time Vader goes so far as to actually kill his own officers. We saw yeah, him right. uh, choke, force choke, you know, uh, what was the um, Monty or something like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. On
2: the Death Star in the first film.
1: That's when uh, Tarkin told him to knock it off.
2: Yeah. And this is the first time we actually see him killing people left and right if he thinks it's going to serve his ambition. So, oh, and this is not to mention, like, again, uh, stemming from Darth Vader himself, this is our introduction to the Emperor. And it's a foreshadowing of everything to yet to come with Return of the Jedi. And it seems to me that I, I knew Vader was, you know, evil incarnate when i saw this as a you know four-year-old boy when i saw the emperor and I- I evil incarnate had an a mentor it was all the more ridiculously chilling so uh, yeah like as far as capturing the essence of the empire as a whole the imperial march by john williams oh yes everything down to the fact that Uh, On Dagobah, even down to the fact that on Dagobah, there is a cave somewhere there, and Yoda has to explain to Luke that uh, the dark side is very strong in that place, full of evil it is. (laughs) <laughs> and he tells luke basically so go down there and see what happens and when luke goes down there what he encounters is not stormtrooper manifestations the imperial probe droids wampas or other things that might haunt him from his past like um you know sand people on tatooine you know he doesn't see a abstract uh you know foggy pillar of um smoke that tries to like you know grab him and wrestle him to the ground and steal his his lightsaber from him. What we see is the manifestation of the of the Sith or the dark side taking on Vader's likeness and how it it has is going to or is probably going to or could envelop Luke himself. So the the power, the forcefulness, the um. The essence of Vader and the Empire here is palpable and it 's so strong. it is so impressive. The title of this movie doesn 't let you down for a second,
1: yeah, absolutely. You, you mentioned a couple of things that um, that made me think um, first of all, I think we might have mentioned this uh, when we uh, all those episodes ago over almost a hundred episodes ago when we talked about um, Star Wars, where we when at least when I think of Star Wars, um, I think of this music right here right? The Imperial March. And that didn't make its debut until this film. And, and so it's, it's really weird to think that, that episode four didn't have this new music anywhere in it at all. Um, and it, I suppose it makes sense when you think about the title of this film, the empire strikes back. So the empire kind of needed a theme. So you've got the Imperial March. Um, and that really became kind of a, a bedrock of, of star Wars. Um, and, so that 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 was the first time that this uh, this theme made its appearance. Um, the other thing you mentioned, uh, Joe, was was the uh, the special effects, um, and and I think the bigger budget. Where the first film had an eleven million dollar budget, this film had an eighteen million dollar budget. and I think it's very obvious the the special effects in Star Wars were groundbreaking, but they were limited. And in this film, it feels like boy, they just did whatever they wanted, and they still hold up. Like I'm watching this on my TV. I don't know how it would look on I, I unfortunately I've never seen Empire Strikes Back in the theater. But um I'm I'm watching this on my TV and I'm thinking wow, I mean this this like why can't we have more model work? Like why does everything have to be CGI these days? This stuff is fantastic. It works so well. It, it really holds up. Like there's there's very few things in this film that don't hold up even now today, I think. So um you did, mentioning those things made me made me think of of those so I wanted to get those those in there um let's see uh in previous films, uh, this is this is a note I have to myself. And in, in, in the previous films, it, or in the previous film, it feels like they got away with everything by the skin of their teeth. But they got by just fine. Like everything just kind of clicked into place all at the right time. You know, the the Death Star blew up at just the right time, and nothing went wrong with any of their plans. Right? Like all these plans were were hairy and scatterbrained, and they may or may not work, but they always worked. Well, in this film. Uh, I think they kind of address that by saying, you know what? Maybe the Millennium Falcon's hyperdrive doesn't work and, and maybe they get captured at Bespin and, and uh, you know, maybe somebody betrays them and maybe their plans are all going askew. And I really like that element of this film.
2: Well, we have been definitely dominating the conversation. I'm sorry, Jim. I wanted to let you have some uh, room to chime in.
0: No, no. I, I, I love hearing what you guys are, are saying about this because it really – you know, being on the show here is giving me an opportunity to kind of hear some fresh perspectives on, on the movie. And um, Mm. I I think what's, what's really nice about this film is, is we see the maturity of, of, of everything, not only uh, like you were saying, uh, the visual effects, but you know, we, we see that maturity in the characters the performances are better. the The characters themselves have more maturity. They have more experience, and you really see that and and feel that in this in this film. It, it's 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 not bereft of humor.
1: No, no, not at all. But
0: it is a much more serious movie, and um, there's. Uh, in, in a in a positive way, there's an absence of silliness that I think you you get in in some of the other Star Wars films. Not that that is a huge attractor for me in uh, in the other movies with some exceptions <laughs> but um yeah I think I think what this shows is it's it's just the textbook perfect sequel where where everything and and everyone cast crew is firing on all cylinders and and really trying to take things to uh, to the next level and in a different direction rather than just kind of echoing uh, everything that they've done before
1: yeah and, and and I meant to mention this earlier, one thing you mentioned, I think Joe mentioned it too is and of course I was talking about how Vader is this this wonderful villain and and he's you know his presence is demanding and commanding and and all these things and and you, and then you talk about the humor and that actually is the next thing that's on my list is the humor and drama are in great balance in this film um probably the best balance that of any Star Wars film um particularly the prequels and and one thing that that happens in the prequels uh particularly is uh for instance General Grievous like like George Lucas infused him with so much humor that he could not be this uh dominating presence like he was supposed to be. He he was just stupid. And and you don't get that in this film, or really in this in this in the original trilogy at all. Um, where the humor was still more, more or less in balance in these films and there was certainly no humor around Vader. Everything Vader ever had anything to do with was serious, and I think that's really important. And then when you com- compare and contrast to to General Grievous or Count Dooku or or or, or Darth Maul, who just felt like a service character, and and yeah, I, all all of this plays into what shaped this film to be such a well made film and and the humor certainly is a, is a huge aspect of it like so much of it later was played for humor where they just didn't do that here and and you're right this film does have some of that humor you know 3PO of course he's the comic relief but he's so well in balance, you know where he, he felt um it, it really felt uh um what's the word I'm looking for when you, indulgent the 3PO's humor felt really indulgent for instance in the clone wars but here it works really well because the rest of the film is not so indulgent so that you can have some comic relief from 3PO and not feel like it's indulgent. Um so so it's a yeah I mean I think that's a great point to make about the humor uh, being in balance which certainly certainly wasn't again if I can hate on the prequels it certainly wasn't in the prequels.
2: Along those lines, um, I have to agree, and tonally speaking in relation to the humor, but not the humor itself, is that the stakes are much higher in The Empire Strikes Back. In A New Hope, the stakes are pretty high. It looks like the Rebel Alliance could be wiped out when the Death Star hits the um, fire button. You know, and mm-hmm. just blows the moon of Yavin to bits. But in this film, it, you really feel the sense that everything hinges on whether or not the rebels can escape Hoth and not be followed. It just so happens that Vader is not interested in following the rebel alliance at large. He's interested in following Luke, so they're able to escape. But then if you go to the prequels, since you brought them up, TJ, I will. Um, it doesn't to. seem like there are any stakes, really. No. It seems like everything is a dance. The good guys, the bad guys, they fire, they have armies, they fall, they rise. they, they, they. It's like an adventure. It, it, they're too excited. It's like they're enjoying the fact that they are at war. And with every moment, it's a little bit like play. And then to you know, flash, you know, flash, you know, back to the the Return of the Jedi. Even though the stakes are very high at the end of Return to the Jedi, there is a little bit more of that playfulness in the battle on Endor. So it takes away some of the high stakes, the feeling that what happens here actually matters. People die. It's the end of everything we cared about. Our hope is dead.
1: I like to call the battle on Endor a foreshadowing of of what was to come. <laughs> Oh it's
2: uh, I I'm just really impressed by how w- w- when Obi-Wan died you felt like Luke was all alone and then when you see his ghost on Hoth you feel like wow it's something so important that Obi-Wan came back from the other side This is momentous. I didn't realize that Luke Skywalker was that important. And you don't really get to know why until near the end of the film when, you know, something very spoilery happens, but that's, it it, it was huge. The stakes are high and the purposefulness of this film is very high. I think that everything hinges on this film. The, The most important things happen in this film. It's not as important that death stars be destroyed it's not as important that the emperor be killed it's not as important that even luke become a jedi <laughs> what matters is I, I, something intangible that happens in the empire strikes back as you as you really care about you know some turning points is, is Han really willing to abandon his friends to save his own hide by paying off his past debts? You know, that mean leaving Leia and, you know, lots of other future, future possibilities with the rebels. And then does Luke actually stand the chance to become a Jedi? It's hard to tell. He, he's learning about the Force along with the audience, So the fate of the Jedi all hinging on Luke, we're not sure whether or not that it's hopeful or not. Yoda is saying how this is not going to work and it doesn't look like it can work because Yoda is much too old to be using the force and Luke is much too ignorant of the force. It doesn't look like there's much enough time for the heroes to gain an edge to withstand the the empire, so all just all around, I feel like we know this film ma- matters in ways that the others do not, because nothing that happens in Empire is actually all that trivial and, and whereas the other films do have things that are for the most part, you know they're nice, but they're moments of fleeting entertainment and they are at times just. Kind of trivial moments.
1: Yeah, and I think you touched on something that, that's uh, actually pretty important, um, and that is the, the, the complication or lack of complication of the plot. Uh, arguably, uh, episode four, maybe the plot was a little too simple. Um, and here, I think the plot is pretty good. Um, maybe a, a tad overcomplicated in that the idea behind Vader capturing Leia and Han is that he's, you know, you know, basically giving Luke the visions that make him realize. So it's setting a trap, and he's seeing the visions that they're in danger, and so he comes to save them. But but for the most part, it's a pretty easy plot to understand. Luke wants to capture, uh, or I'm sorry, Vader wants to capture Luke. And turn him to the dark side, like that's the plot of the film and And the question is you know the, the drama comes in with with some some big reveals, which are very spoilery at thirty four years can we can we can we not talk about this film after thirty four years without calling spoiler warnings <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna call spoiler warning right here. If you have not seen this film, what is wrong with you? Go see it. Here's a spoiler. Um, the the big reveal and the dramatic tension comes from the fact that we find out that Obi Wan hid from Luke that Vader was Anakin Skywalker that he was the the father of of uh, of Luke and and so I think that the plot of this film is pretty much perfect and 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 whereas with the and, and I'm, I hate to turn this into a prequel bashing I'll try to stay away from that you know too much but. Um, but, but the problem with the prequels is that it's so convoluted. Like the whole plan here of, of, uh, of Darth Sidious is that he's, he's basically making it so that no matter which side you're fighting on, you're fighting for him. Like, and, and he's, he's manipulating all the strings and it's so convoluted and you can't figure out what's going on. It's just crazy. And, uh, you know, and trade negotiations and, and garbage, it just, it just doesn't work. And, and this, this film is completely devoid of, as are all the original trilogy of any of that. Um, And so I I think on that level, again, it it works so well that the plot is easy to follow, but it's, it's not lacking in drama. Have I, have I, uh, does that make sense? You guys have I, have I touched on anything that that's resonating?
0: Oh yeah. I I think that makes perfect sense. It just makes perfect sense because kind of like you're both saying the the whole, the whole goal for the rebels in this entire movie uh, other than uh, Luke ends up getting training the the whole goal is basically yeah, let's not die today guys <laughs> you know right, right. <laughs> there, there's there's no no big thing to blow up. there's no particular mission. It's really just this this group of of people trying to to figure out how to survive and try to figure out, how to regroup and and determine what's what's next. And and if I could briefly um just to kind of switch gears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Back to uh what was mentioned earlier with the Imperial March.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and John Williams score. This uh I'm a musician and uh when when I listen to the score for Empire Strikes Back to me it it really stands so well on its own.
1: Absolutely. On one
0: hand it's it's absolutely integral to to the success of of the movie. I don't think you have um, the 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 success and 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 well-regarded reception of of uh particularly the the original trilogy Without the supporting music of John Williams, but but on its own, this is just such a beautiful symphonic work, and 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 he supports the the characters and the situations and the tension of what's happening on the screen so effectively that when you listen to it all on its own, it it evokes. Um, all of those things. When I listen to it, it's it's basically like I'm, you know, listening to the or watching the movie in my mind.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am uh, as much as I would love Jim to to watch movies all the time and, and talk about you know have, do a daily podcast on it. I, I do have a day job uh, and I'm a developer and I, I listen to the scores. So sometimes I'll just put it on and listen to it while I'm writing code and it it really is fantastic it 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 does work with the movie so well that it does bring those scenes kind of to mind as you're listening to it but it just works really well on its own I, I i got into a little bit of trouble uh if you can call it that with with dan when he was on the show dan benjamin uh when we talked about um one of the things we talked about was the you know John Williams and, and music scores in general and things. And and one of the things I said is I'm not particularly a huge fan of John Williams because it feels like it feels to me like he misses nuance sometimes and he gets really big and bombastic and 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 often misses the quieter moments. And I, I think that still stands, but nevertheless uh, i don't know this would not be like you can't have a star wars film I don't know what they're going to do when he dies you can't have a star wars film without a john Williams score I, I i don't know how you do that and and this is this is certainly no different and i completely agree that that star wars i would have to say is john williams probably his best most renowned work um i, I don't know of anything that he's done that's better than than the score particularly for the Empire Strikes back so i i am in complete agreement with you
2: what I find very intriguing about the Empire Strikes Back soundtrack, on f- top of the fact that we get the Imperial March, and we also have the Yoda theme, and it is very good. If you get to listen to it on its own, it's it's quite nice. But uh, apart from just having the Star Wars main title theme revisited, the excellent in credits music as well for its own listening pleasure, ironically, we got a lot from the special edition star wars episode 5 the empire strikes back edition of the soundtrack if you go back and um, take a listen to various editions of the soundtracks in general my personal favorite are the ones that were released at the time of the star wars special editions in 1997 because there are never before heard tracks that john williams composed that were optionals for various scenes throughout Mm -hmm. the three films Mm -hmm. and Lucas got to pick which tracks he wanted most of all. And as a whole, you just get so much more scope of the music from that particular edition. I would highly recommend it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know which edition you're talking about. And as soon as you, I was trying to cue it up. As soon as you mentioned Yoda's theme, it is, it is really good. Obviously the Imperial March is the most well-renowned theme, but Yoda's theme is, is so good. Um, and now he's off onto some other part of it, but, but particularly the, the main uh, uh, part where he's – I mean it, it's just – it's so good. Um, so yeah, we, we could talk about the music probably for hours. Um, Jim, I, I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about being a musician. What kind of uh, instruments do you play?
0: Uh, I play the saxophone very mediocrely <laughs> and the clarinet uh, just playing badly. <laughs> okay. But uh yeah actually I actually <laughs> went to went to music school and uh ended up kind of graduating with uh with a degree that gave me focus areas uh in in applied music but also uh computer information systems nice but uh you know just real 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 fast you 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 kind of mentioned your your thought about John Williams not being maybe the most subtle composer and and i cannot disagree with that and i'll I'll tell you what you know you know since you're you're pretty tuned into to that sort of thing um i really enjoy the work of jerry goldsmith
1: Mm -hmm. and bernard herman oh i haven't heard of him
0: yeah bernard herman scored almost all of alfred hitchcock's films yeah and and what's interesting is 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 John Williams and Jerry Goldsmith were both heavily influenced by, by Bernard Herman. Mm. He came slightly, he was essentially kind of the previous generation or maybe half a generation. Uh, you could say prior to, uh, to them. But, uh, but if you, if you want to check out composers who, who really can, can write for very, very quiet, subtle moments, those, uh, those are two folks that, that I would encourage anyone to really check out
1: yeah absolutely i I completely agree that jerry goldsmith uh, his his work uh, in the subtler and quieter moments is really, really good. It, but he can get big and bombastic too, which is I'm, I'm, i I don't mind big and bombastic when it's called for. and we have him to thank for what we now universally recognize as the the canonical Star Trek theme, which he didn't write until the motion picture. and sometimes I think that uh, people don't think as much of him as they should his his work uh, this is a complete sidetrack but that's it, what I love about the movie by podcast. Um, his, his work on Star Trek, the motion picture was phenomenal. Like I hate that movie, but I love the the sound, the score. Like he, he did phenomenal work on that movie and it's just such a shame. It was such a poor movie that it went along with. Uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree. Jerry Goldsmith. Another one that I, I feel hit some really nice, uh, subtle, uh, quiet moments is, um, uh, man, his, his name is slipping my, uh my mind here he did um he's doing the hunger games uh G- james newton howard he really he really hit yeah. some tender moments so that that's another another recommendation mm-hmm. if you if you want to get uh subtle scores going um so we, we we mentioned the yoda theme uh and um i wanted to talk a little bit about yoda obviously in 1980 there was not anything like cgi certainly not on this level anyway that that were you know in in the in the uh In the Clone Wars and in Revenge of the Sith, Yoda was all CGI, and and frankly, it wasn't bad. Like It was way better than the puppet they used in The Phantom Menace. I don't know what was going on there. Um, But here he is all puppet, and this is, of course, the canonical, the first time we see Yoda, so this is what he looks like. Um, and And occasionally, I had this thought and i 've never had this thought before i don 't know if I was over scrutinizing it this time. I thought he does occasionally look a little like a muppet, um but most of the time they 're really good about camera angles and how it works out and um and and when he 's not trying to eat uh, a a little bit of luke 's food, he mostly looks real <laughs> um and and it 's just such a he 's such a great character it, i don 't know if you guys know this um I've heard. I I I don't know if this was like in a special feature I haven't seen or something, but I remember hearing that George Lucas like almost cut Yoda entirely from the film. Like he he saw it. Irvin Kershner was showing him dailies. And he's like, oh man, I just that he just didn't think it was working. And then I I heard that he saw it with John Williams Yoda theme, and he was sold. Like it, it just worked for him. Um. So that's I don't know if I don't know if that's I don't know if that's real or not. That's what that's one of the stories that I've heard, and I'm really glad, of course, that he left him in because Yoda is, of course, one of the best things about this movie, and and I really, really, really love the scene where Luke is like, "Oh, it's I can't do it. It's too hard. It's big. You expect the impossible, you know." And and Yoda just he goes, you know, and he just sort of raises his hand, and up comes the ship, and it's just you know, and and Luke is, "Oh man, I, I can't believe it," you know, and he's like that is why you failed. You know, it's just such a wonderful scene. Like how could you ever even dream that Yoda wasn't a part of this movie, but apparently it was a close call and he was almost like, we got to take him out. So, uh, I'm really glad that he was left in.
2: I agree. I think that there are two other fabulous moments with Yoda when he is sober and acting serious, (laughs) one is the very emotionally moving scene where he first takes opportunity to scold Luke. You know the music, the monologue inside of Yoda's little house there, and he is overanalyzing Luke, and you know uh, criticizing how this boy is impatient.
1: He's too old. He's too old to begin the training. Sorry, I had I had I had, to, oh, I had that's to a really that good
2: impression there, there TJ. <laughs> I, I I am a believer in your Yo- inner Yoda voice.
1: It is actually one of the few impressions I can actually do.
2: Uh huh. All right, well, uh, Luke is interesting in that moment because it seems like he is, while Luke is being sucked in and convinced and pulled into the um, the awe of this Jedi Master, so, are, so is the audience. While Yoda is just, you know, uh, goofing it up and acting like a, a bumbling alien idiot of Dagobah, it's really hard to take him seriously. And, you know, it's, it's fun humor. It's really entertaining the, you know, the, um, the awkward, ne- uh, humor between him and R2D2. But as soon as Luke takes Yoda seriously, I think the audience warms up to him extremely fast. And then Luke says, I am not afraid. And Yoda just looks at him with that cold stare, you know, 100 mile stare and says, <laughs> you will be. Yes. And, and that, that just sends a chill up and down your spine the first time you see it. Very palpable stuff. And then you have the later scene when he is trying to talk Luke out of leaving Dagobah and you really appreciate the scope of Yoda's emotions and that he cares about Luke. He's not just a hard-nosed mentor, but he is genuinely concerned about this individual in in, in addition to the greater scheme of things. And then all of a sudden you have this wonderful little conversation, debate between Obi-Wan and Yoda and all the more you get to appreciate that Yoda just works in this film mm-hmm. apart from a few moments where his his puppet like nature exposes his true self you know you, you otherwise you just generally believe in the guy
1: well it's it's really amazing uh, you know even 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 with taking into consideration well a couple of times it does look a little fake i mean because you are limited with a puppet but it really is amazing what frank oz was able to do with that little guy i mean you you totally buy the like i actually really love the performance of yoda Um, before he becomes serious like you it really gets you in the same frame of mind as luke like who is this little character and what's going on this is this is where the little bit indulgent humor works because it's part of the story it's not just there for its own sake it's really trying to teach luke something and he's not getting it and and you know he and, and then there's this complete transition like you can see it on yoda's face and he's a puppet for crying out loud but you can see the transition on his face like you were saying like he just, he, there's this big size. I cannot train him. You know, he, he just, he, it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Like how he was able to do that with a puppet, how Frank Oz was able to accomplish this, I have no idea, but it works so well. It, it, it really is wonderful.
2: I didn't know that George Lucas had it in him.
1: <laughs> um, guys, I really, um, you know, normally we talk about our dislikes. I only have one. On this on this film, and normally you know that's a rare occasion for me. <laughs> I, I know Joe; you know that's a rare occasion for me. Um, I, I really only have one dislike, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you have any, if you guys have any at all, and we can talk about them if you do. But the one dislike that I have is that I felt that, like the dark side force cave thing was very weird. Like wh- what? What do you mean that this part of the of the of the planet is is strong with the dark side. Like, what does that even mean? I thought the force was living things and the, the channel through living things. It was just kind of weird that there's a place where the dark side is abundant or something. So that, that was really weird to me. That, and that's the only dislike in this film that I have. And, and, and maybe it's not a dislike if you guys want to help me understand it better, or you have a different opinion and you can sway me otherwise.
2: I want to hear Jim's take on this first.
1: Well, I,
0: I think there was in in the expanded universe of of books and and comics uh I think at some point there was an elaboration on exactly what was meant by that um I I can't remember off the top of my head what the, what the deal was but there there was some uh retconned explanation for for that but but certainly within the motion picture itself, uh, there there isn't a clear explanation as to why that is, um, which which is a little bit uh, uh, a little bit unusual. It'd be interesting to to go back and look it, into maybe a previous draft of the script to see if there was additional. Uh, uh, information given on that yeah that's now, a good
1: point it, it almost feels like it was divorced from something else that was part of the script or i'd love to see the script notes or, or a different draft of that that's a good point
0: right right yeah and i i think the only it, it's not even a complaint uh for me but uh one thing that i've never quite understood in the film is exactly how much time elapses for for Luke while he's training and uh and concurrently that travel time for uh for uh Luke I'm sorry for uh, Han and Leia uh in the Millennium Falcon it, it's it's not real clear in the film if it's maybe a couple of days or a week or or several weeks or or maybe even a month or or more And I've kind of looked online and and seen conflicting opinions about that. But uh, uh, again, not really a complaint, just uh, uh, kind of something that that's always been a question mark for me in the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what do you think about that?
2: Mm, I I have my questions about the movie as well. No real complaints, really. Just a few observations that puzzle me. One of the, First ones is uh, the Minox along the lines of what Jim is saying, the things that just don't exactly make sense. The Minox inside of the throat of the space log on the Meteor, it never really made sense to me why... These bat-like creatures are down the throat (laughs) of a space slug. Why would these bat-like creatures that presumably are living inside of a cave actually be down the throat of another monster? And how do they sustain their life exactly? What do they normally eat when they're not chewing on power cables? (laughs) Uh, Another thing (laughs) was uh, when I I think it was Captain Nita was uh, absolutely baffled when the Millennium Falcon vanished. He said, "No ship that small has a cloaking device."
1: And I thought to myself,
2: "That does seem like an odd statement, wouldn't you think? The small ships are more likely to have cloaking devices than the large ones. Uh, Why exactly should the large ones versus the small ones?"
1: I always assumed it was a power generation thing. Like if you, uh, and this is really, I've always find it really weird to get super technical with Star Wars because to me, Star Wars is pure fantasy. It's not really technical like Star Trek, but if you want to get technical, I always assumed it was a power generation thing. Like a little ship just doesn't have the power to power a clo- the cloaking device. That was my takeaway on that. Mm.
2: And I can understand that. That's a that's a reasonable excuse. I, I, I buy that. I think I, I've I've come to that conclusion as well. It just doesn't really seem to make sense. It's one of those things like the timetable that doesn't seem to really add up if you think about it. Another thing on the technical side of actually the film production, this is borderline dislike is that, um, Yoda's voice sounds kind of muffled throughout the, the first set of his scenes. Hmm it sounds sort of like he is uh, Frank Oz is speaking through cloth. You know, he's speaking through the arm of his shirt Interesting. and yeah. it's okay. It's just not nearly as clear as all the rest of the voices throughout the film or Yoda's voice in the other films. So it feels like a technical, um, just a uh, lapse there. And it kind of takes me out more than the puppetry to hear how muffled Yoda actually is in, in the middle of the film, the beginning of the film. Um, Last observation here among mm, sordid dislikes, okay? Again, we're we're being picky here, people. But what I'm saying is, what, what exactly was Vader up to when he told Lando that he wanted Leia and the Wookiee to stay on Cloud City? Uh, it, it doesn't exactly make sense to me what his strategy was, because by this time he was already walking all over um, Han and Leia and Chewie and... It wasn't like he was trying to be agreeable. It wasn't like he was trying to uh, watch his boundaries and not overstep his boundaries. You know, he was, he was willing to just infiltrate cloud city and take what he wanted. He was already going to get whatever he wanted. So why did he want to lie that Leia and Wookiee had to stay on cloud city permanently? Why didn't he make some other kind of lie? Why that lie? Or I don't know. It just like that never really made sense to me. Why that one?
1: I think there are two possible explanations to that one. And it's not very plausible because Darth Vader does what he wants, but is, is that he was telling Lando that story to help just to keep him a little more cooperative for a longer period of time. Um, because eventually Lando did crack like, like it was just once he was told, uh, to take uh, to take them to his sh- to Vader's ship, like that was it. Like he had had enough, and he he cracked. So so Vader, the the first possible explanation is that Vader was was keeping him subdued as long as possible, so he didn't have to deal with it. Um, and he, I I you know, and that he never intended to to honor that deal, but that he just told him that. the The other explanation is that Vader didn't think had not thought about the possibilities of or the uses of keeping Leia and Chewie around or whatever. And then he had a change of mind. He's thought, Oh, I'll do this with him or do that. Neither of those are super plausible. It, it's probably really kind of a scripting mistake, but if you want to call it that, or just adding drama and tension in a, in a way that doesn't make sense. So yeah, it, it never bothered me.
2: Okay. I buy that. But at the same time, it seems like, a, yeah, well, it, it, it doesn't bother, bother me, but still when I'm watching it, yeah, when I'm watching it, it's kind of like I'm splitting hairs here, but it Vader, what exactly is your beef? <laughs>
1: All right, well, we're, we're going to have to bring this in for a landing. Jim, did you have anything else like or dislike that you wanted to discuss?
2: No, I think
0: that, uh, that pretty well covers it.
1: All right, favorite quotes? We, we don't, we, I, don't, I don't know if we've ever actually done this, but I have, I have several favorite quotes. Either of you have any quotes that you like from this film? I, I've got
2: one. Uh, never tell me the odds.
1: <laughs> Go for it, Jim.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one does take the cake.
1: How do you make the Wookie noise a show title? I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh,
0: that's that's an onomatopoeia that uh, that I don't think I could spell.
1: <laughs> so there there are a lot of good quotes in this film. Um, no time to discuss this as a committee. I am not a committee. Um, let's see. Never tell me the odds. That's a good one. I love you. I know. Um, who's scruffy looking? Of all the things that she called him, he picked out. You know who's scruffy looking? Um, Let's see. I've I've got a list here, and some of them are better than others. Um, I'm altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Joe, you have a deeper voice than I do. you got to try that one.
2: <laughs> you want me to put on my Darth Vader voice? Please. I'm sorry. I can only I'll do, do effects. I can't
1: do Darth Vader.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Is this a radio
1: drama? Yes, exactly. What has happened to the show? Is this a show? Is this what people tune in for?
2: <laughs> I am altering the deal. Pray that I do not alter it any further. That wasn't even trying. That sounds more like Megatron. Never mind.
1: All right, um, so guys, uh, let's let's talk about just our final concluding thoughts, our star ratings, uh, and Jim. I we rate on a scale of five, so um, you know you can and you do you can do half stars. So it's basically a ten point scale from from one to ten. Uh, of course, ten. You know, five, five, five out of five stars being the the best rating you can give a film, and a half star being the worst rating that you could give a film. And so, since you are our guest, uh, I would love to start with you and just to hear your concluding thoughts and your star rating.
0: Sure thing. No, I, I appreciate that very much. I, I'd have to say that, uh, given that this is my my personal rating system, and and not necessarily. Uh, the ratings rating system for what is empirically the, <laughs> the best film ever. Uh, but this, this is in, in, in my mind, this is five out of five stars. Mm. Um, It's just, it's the movie and there's, you know, I guess the way I look at it too is like, if this isn't a five out of five, then there isn't a five out <laughs> such thing as a five out of five. Nice. Uh, at least,
1: at least for me. And so I assume then you would also rate the first star Wars film on a five out of five. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Joe, your concluding thoughts on your star rating.
2: All right. Well, I say the empire strikes back is the first star Wars film. I remember from childhood, but I'll, I'll admit that I didn't appreciate it as much that early on. And, uh, I think that this is true for, uh, for the experience for a lot of young children. We're more attracted to for whatever reason, Aspects of the other films a little bit more, and the older you get, the more you appreciate Empire. This this film just gets sweeter with age. So, it's good. It's clean content, rich entertainment. It tugs on the heartstrings, and it inspires, and it humors my inner geek. It is the Star Wars film by which all others are measured. So, I say five for five stars. Absolutely, any day of the week, and even though it is not my favorite it is a close second.
1: Joe, I don't remember what your star rating was of the first film when we reviewed it. Can you remind me? And it was 5 stars. Okay, so 5 stars for that one too. So you you and Jim you're you're uh, two two birds of a feather over there. Um I, I would have to say um I, I wish I could give this this film a five star rating uh and and I give it a four and a half out of five leaning toward five. Like four point seventy five, four point nine out of five. Like like if it wasn't a ten point scale, I'd be, you know, going way up closer to, to five. But but I'm at four and a half. Um and and that's just because like I very, very, very rarely hand out a five star uh, and, and there are only like three films that I've ever given a five star to. One of those is Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Con, another one is The Matrix. And this film is so close, like it's just right there that I could even be convinced to give it a five. So I'm I'm all four and a half with all these qualifiers, right? Um it is a fantastic film. They don't make films like this anymore. I wish they did. Um I, I would I would love to see more films like this. Um it, it just feels like most modern films as much as I enjoy a lot of these, you know, newer films sometimes uh, and they've made some good ones, you know. I obviously I really loved uh, Avengers and and stuff like that, but just it's still like they're just they just don't make them like this anymore. I would love to see more of a focus on story in, in modern films and less of a focus on the effects and, and, and you know even, even who's acting in it. Like a lot of these actors in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and, and, and when they cast them in the original film, they were relatively unknowns. Uh, and, and so there was more of a focus on the story and less of a focus on the technical aspects and the star power. And so, I would love to see a return to that. And just based on those things alone, and just you know, this film it really is a classic. It's it's part of my childhood. I'll always it'll always hold a special place in my heart. In that way, uh, I remember sitting down and, and watching it with the family. You know, so for all those reasons and all the reasons we discussed, um, I have to say this is this is one of the great films, and, and I think it always will be, no, no matter what George Lucas tries to do to it in the future. And thankfully, he's he's you know. Given the rights over to Disney and whatever, so we won't have to worry about him meddling anymore. And and by the way, I forgot to mention this at the top of the um, of the show or when we started with the review of this film. Um, I highly recommend the despecialized editions of these films. Um, there are ways to get them. I do uh, not condone piracy, so if you um, if you don't own a copy of the Blu Ray of Star Wars, then you probably shouldn't go looking for this. But if you do, I think that your conscience can be. Uh, soothed and satisfied, and you can know that you uh, own a copy of the film, and then you can go download the despecialized uh, Star Wars. That's how uh, I watch it. I believe that's how you watch it as well, Joe. Um, and uh, it's it's not that hard to find, not that hard to download. And and a lot of fans have put in a lot of work into these these films, and I, I think it's a great preservation effort. Um, you know, uh, hand shot first always. Um, Jim, are you familiar with the despecialized uh, Star Wars? I've seen uh I've seen the episode
0: for DeSpecialized mm-hmm. and uh that one that one's quite good. Uh I haven't seen the the one's for for Empire Jedi though.
1: Okay. Yeah, they they put in a lot of work even recently like they released DeSpecialized 2.0 or something like that uh and they put in a lot even a lot more work and they're working on updating the one for Empire. But the one that's out there now, the one that I have is really good. Um and you know, they've got you know, they and, and this is the thing where Mm, we're, we're going <laughs> I meant to end the show, but let me just talk about this and then we'll end the show um this is the thing where uh, I actually wouldn't didn't mind the fact that they put um Ian McDermott in and replaced um the the old lady that was playing the emperor originally, but they changed his dialogue like and, and that was not cool with me i I want the film in its original form and and even though I would have been okay with the change for Ian McDermott, I'm happy to have a copy that has the original. Look and feel. It wasn't Ian McDermott, but that's okay. It, it, it wasn't that far off, and and it's not a a, a it's, it doesn't ruin the film. It doesn't ruin Jedi that that it's not the same actor, you know. So, uh, I I would much rather just have the original theatrical cut of the film, and and that's what we have with the specialized edition. They've they've done a lot of. Work to make it HD. You know they've they've pulled from a lot of different sources. They've upresed where they need to, and they pulled from HD sources where possible. So it's a really a lot of great effort. And I will find and put into the show notes a link to where uh, I've talked about this on Movie Bite. Let me make a note to do that, or I will forget. Um, despecialized. Okay. So with that, um, let us go ahead and wind down the show. Jim, thank you so much for being here. It was a wonderful pleasure to have you on. Um, and people will probably want to know where they can keep up with you. I, I, I don't know how many people listen to this podcast necessarily that, that are, you know, wouldn't already know about it maybe, but I know you do, um, nerd novice and, and things like that. So tell us where people can find you, where they yeah. can follow you, where they can, where they can stalk you and all that good stuff.
0: <laughs> sure thing. Well, you know, again, it's, it was totally my pleasure. It was so much fun getting on, uh, here with you guys and, and hearing what, what you had to say and. People can find me uh, on the Nerd Novice podcast, which is at nerdnovice dot uh, I'm J Metzendorf on Twitter, J M E T Z E N D O R F on Twitter, and uh, I also um, uh, you can find me at uh, audiopodcastguide oh, dot
1: Yeah, you've actually uh, you're asking people to um, to donate, and then you will, I I believe, a copy of your um, PDF will be made available. Um, Tell us a little about that.
0: Yeah, I I sell an uh, an ebook that covers a variety of aspects of of podcast production. You know, all the way from equipment choice to room treatment to editing techniques, and uh, you can check that out at uh, AudioPodcastGuide.com.
1: Do you have any differing opinions from what Dan has out there on his site uh the the podcast method I think it is uh
0: well all of your fine listeners will just have to buy a copy of my book and find out. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. that's right. Uh, I, th- I think I think Dan are Dan and I are are, are very much in uh, in agreement on uh, on things with one another. Okay,
1: good. I'm I'm sure yeah. that there's probably a lot more expansive stuff though. Like Dan focuses more on on you know being the host and, and different things. Although he does talk about equipment and stuff too, but. Uh, he talks about mic technique and stuff, which I'm sure you have a lot to say as well. So um, I haven't actually checked out that resource, but I need to, um, and and I'm I would I'm just going to go ahead and recommend it because I, I know the kind of work you do, and it's it's good stuff. So uh, Joe, tell us where people can find you at.
2: Okay. Well, I wanted to say thanks, Jim. I enjoyed m- making your acquaintance. And uh, you can find me on my website, intentionalsensibility.com. I try to write a couple of times a week or more, and during the month of December, just a little bit less than the rest of the year for reasons. <laughs> and you can also catch me on Twitter anytime, day or night. And that is uh, – my handle is underscore Joe Darnell. That's me. Uh, don't look at the Joseph Darnell or other Joe Darnells. They, they're they imposters. <laughs>
1: All right, and if you want to follow me, you may do that. Uh, I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter, um, and uh, all the writing that I do is pretty much at MovieByte dot uh, I try to write, write a little something every day. Um, I was trying to get a review written for The Empire Strikes Back uh, for the site, but I haven't done that yet. I'm just going to try to get that out later this week, but it's. As you said, Joe, December is a really busy month. There's family and Christmas and ah, priorities, you know, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and if you want to catch the show notes for this episode, if uh, for some reason you have a pod uh, catcher that does not pull in show notes, uh, first of all, shame on you. But second of all, you can find those show notes online at moviebyte.com. <clears throat> Try that again. Moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash 117. Uh, That is where you will find the online version of those show notes, and you can share that link with uh, your friends, your family, your loved ones, anyone who you care about, really. Uh, That would be wonderful if you did that. Um, And uh, in addition, you will find a comment form. Uh, You know, I know internet comments are a mixed bag, but uh, we would love to interact with you there if you want to go there and scroll down uh, on that page to the comment form. Leave us a a nice comment. Uh, That would be wonderful, and, and we read all those, and we'll get back with you. Uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing Exodus, Gods, and Kings. Looking forward to that. Uh, Ridley Scott can be a mixed bag sometimes, but I feel like I'm, I'm certainly going to at least like the uh, style and the visuals and, and the storytelling of this film. So Exodus, Gods, and Kings, we're looking forward to that. Um, last I heard, Fizz was going to be able to make it to join us on that episode, as he does occasionally, uh, but he has not confirmed that yet, but that's a possibility, so be looking forward to that next week. Thank you so much for being here, Jim. Thank you, Joe. And uh, we'll talk to you next week, Joe.
2: Thanks, TJ. Have a good night. Bye, guys.